Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. <laughs> it is Father's Day and we're going to talk about Father's Day a little bit. I do have an opening verse I'll share with you and we can, can use that as a foundation to, to take off today. It's in Psalms chapter 17 verses f- uh, 3 through 5. This is the psalmist is writing, and the words are directed towards God. They write, You have examined my heart. You had visited me in the night. How many is glad that God knows our heart? There are times that we are excited for God to know our heart, and then there are probably other times where we, well, Lord, maybe you shouldn't know my heart. <laughs> But he looks beyond the facade that we create. He looks down deep inside of us and and ministers deep inside of us. And he looks into our heart and he knows in those moments when our flesh is weak and we're trying to serve him, he knows the true intent of your heart. And how many is thankful that even in the darkest time, God's right there with you. He doesn't ever forsake you. He never leaves you. Even if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. God's hand is right there with you. He visits us in the night. We continue reading. It says, you have tried me and found nothing. What a pure conscience before God. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. We'll save that one for a different Sunday. (laughs) We have to guard our mouths, right? The Bible teaches us that the tongue is the rudder of the ship. And while it may be a small member, it is a very powerful member. Verse 4. Concerning the works of men by the word of your lips, I have avoided the paths of violence. Verse 5. Placing my steps in your paths that my footsteps do not slip. Thank you for standing reading of the word today. You can be seated. If, if sermons have to have titles, then today I guess I would present to you the title, The Footsteps of a Disciple Maker. The Footsteps of a Disciple Maker. It is Father's Day, and sometimes Father's Day gets the bad rap because on Mother's Day we go over and above and beyond. It seems like some, sometimes moms get all the... Attention and credit, they probably should. They do most of the work. Mark Twain said, one of his quotes is, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much that old man had learned in just seven years. Another comedian wrote, now that my father's become a grandfather, he just can't wait to give money to his grandkids. But when I was a kid and I asked him for just 50 cents, I got the whole long life story. How he got up at five in the morning, was only seven years old, had to walk 23 miles to milk 90 cows. The farmer didn't have a bucket, so he had to get the milk in his hand and carry it all the way into the house. Did all that hard work for just five cents. 
The result was I would never get my five cents when asking. But now that he's become a grandfather, my kids can ask him for money and he's just willing to give it. Every time my kids come in the house, he goes, well, let's see how much money old granddad has here for his wonderful grandkids. Have to be careful from time to time. because Sometimes I just snatch that money right away and say, that's my money. <laughs> there are many sayings that we use and associate with fathers. You may be a guilty party saying these statements. What part of no don't you understand? It helps when you say it with a very bewildered look on your face. What part of no didn't you understand? This is going to hurt you, or this is going to hurt me, more than it's going to hurt you. <laughs> he said, I got that one backwards. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Your kid may say, why? And the dad's great answer is, because I said so. Or... I really wasn't asleep. I was just resting my eyes. How many ever said or heard your dad say, shut the door. Were you born in a barn? <laughs> or you fall down and hurt yourself. And they always, dads always say, well, a little dirt's never going to hurt anyone. As long as you live under my roof, you'll live by my rules. Unless the prince and the queen of the house changes them. What do you think I am, a money tree? I'm not made out of money. We've all heard this one. If you're a dad, you've said it. Don't make me stop this car. And then the number one statement all dads say, go ask your mom. <laughs> go ask your mother. <clears throat> Jewish tradition insists that fatherhood is not necessarily biological, but one who raises a child is considered that child's true parent. So in our lives, those that were around us and those that we interact with as children, we must understand that we are influences in their life. Everybody is influencing somebody. And leadership is influence, so every single one of us is a leader. You don't even know it. You may be walking in the grocery store, and you just may catch the eye of a child, and there's something about you. Maybe you like the same cereal they liked on that aisle. It just creates an affinity, and they're like, wow. If they like Frosted Flakes, maybe I should try. For some unbeknown reasons to that mother, that child's like, I want Frosted Flakes today. You never know. You're just always influencing people because you are there and you create this, this bigger-than-life view to a child. So there's many people who have many different relationships, teachers, trainers, aunts, uncles, course, mothers and fathers who are influencing and making a difference in the 
child that they are around. We are providing guidance to them. We're providing value to them. We're providing discipline to them. We're providing instruction to them. And we should be providing to them love, grace, and mercy. It'll probably get repeated later on in the message today, but a child should experience grace, love, and mercy in their home. It should be more than just a Bible story that's heard in a Sunday school lesson. It should be more than just something that's talked about and taught about of a, of a great God who can love us and give us grace and give us mercy. But these attributes should be experienced in the home of our children. This is a very different picture than the first century, particularly when the Romans were in charge. During the Roman rule, they had a law called Patria Potestas, which meant the father's power. The Romans had set an order where men who were Roman citizens were given absolute rights over their families. According to Roman law, the children and the wife were regarded as the patriarch's personal property. And he could do with them as he so wished. A displeased father could simply own, disown his children. He could sell his children off in slavery. He could even murder or kill his own children if they didn't meet his expectations. When a child was born, it stated that in a Roman family, the child would be placed between the feet of the father on the floor. And that father then would examine the child and make a decision whether he wanted that child to come into their family or not. And if he would pick up the child, that was a sign of acceptance. If he rejected the child and left it sitting, the child would either be sold off into slavery or done away with, murdered. One of the contemporary writers of the Roman time described Roman policy with regards to unwanted animals as in, we slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge the knife into a sick cow. Children born weak or deformed, we drown. This was the social standard of the Romans. It's brutal. It's hard to hear. It's sometimes difficult to comprehend how a culture and a society could become so unloving towards innocent children. But we have to be careful that we don't wag our social, cultural finger at the Romans because even our society and our culture has made the decision that millions of unborn children can be slaughtered Every single year. Children have become a disposable commodity in our society just as they were in Rome. Dad, father, you have a responsibility to protect every child. Particularly those that are your first responsibility. You have a obligation from God to protect that child. You are that child's provision and that child's 
protection. We live today not under Roman rule, thank the Lord. We live today in a country where we have freedom and rights and, and, and people take advantage of those freedoms and rights to, to many different areas and different extremes. But the Bible teaches us that Christian fathers live by a standard different than the culture or the society establishes. Just as in the days of Peter and John and Matthew and Bartholomew and all the apostles and even all of the early church, just as though they lived under the rule of Roman social standards, we live today under a rule of a social standard that maybe isn't always in alignment with biblical standard. And so some of the stuff we believe and we teach may be countercultural. And that's okay. The things the apostles did and taught and lived were counter to their culture. And so if we want to be like the apostles and we want to be like the early church, there will be times when we have to take a stand against some things that culture says is okay, but God's word instructs us to live differently. There may be a social standard for how a dad should live and, and teach and be involved in the family, but we don't live according to the culture standard for how a father interacts with that family. We live according to a biblical instruction for how a father should interact with their family. The Bible teaches us that our children are not our property to own, but our children are little images of God running around for us to train. The Bible says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full. Talking about a man who has a full house of children. The Bible teaches us that children are an inheritance from the Lord. Children should be preserved because they're an inheritance. What a beautiful picture this makes of a child that's brought into a family. What a beautiful picture this makes of a a father and a child's relationship. Rather than lording over a child, this gives us the ability to take and shape and mold and create this blank slate into what God would want them to be. It's common Jewish culture They don't leave all of their children's future decisions to them. For example, if you've ever met a, a Jewish family that has little children, toddlers, grade schoolers, you may have been introduced to the family as, hey, this is my, my son, Bartholomew. He's going to grow up and be a dentist. And Bartholomew's like, This is my daughter, Mary. She's going to grow up and be a nurse. And Mary's like, I am? But they repeat this over and over and over again. And they, they put this idea and this thought in their child that, hey, you're going to grow up and be somebody. You're going to grow up and have an identity. You're not just 
another mouth to feed. You're not just another expense. You're not just another United States tax write-off for us, but you have purpose and God gave you to us for a reason and for meaning. What would happen if all of our children had purpose before they tried to discover who they were? Maybe some of the confusion about who I am would not be there. The New Testament challenges us to see the word father differently. Our world describes father as a noun, a person. But the Bible challenges us to see father as a verb, an action word, a word of doing. To say I am someone's father means I am actively engaged with that person. I am doing something to help them become what God wants them to be. Biologically, it's easy to become a father, but biblically, it's challenging to actually, quote unquote, father our children. The Bible very clearly challenges us that we are not just, we are to be more than just social leaders in our home, but we are to be spiritual leaders in our home. The Bible very clearly teaches us that our first responsibility is. Teaching our families, our children, who God is, how God loves them, and giving them that example of grace and mercy from God. And the primary part of our responsibility is striking the balance in our home between love and discipline. Dads, we have to show as much love, if not more love, than we do discipline. We need consistency in, in how we minister to our children. <clears throat> I'm not just going to beat up on the dads today. This applies to all of us. Maybe I'm harder on dads because I am one. And I know the responsibilities that I feel in my life as a father and and I understand those responsibilities to, to make a difference in my children's lives. And so I encourage and, and maybe pull you along today. Get in the current and let it pull you to being the father that God wants us and has created us to be. Hebrews chapter 12 it tells us, Let God train you, for he is doing what any good father does for his children. Whoever heard of a son who was never corrected. Who's ever heard of a child that's never been corrected? Well, I think I have. I've heard of children that's never been corrected. You can spot them. They're pretty easy to find. Maybe you've whispered in, to your family members when you've been in a public setting, you know what that child needs? More than a hug. I'll never forget my pastor was preaching it may have been a Father's Day message. It may have been a baby dedication. He goes, and my, my pastor has five, four kids, four children. I'm following the Stan Gleason model. We're stopping at three, but we did have a long uh, siesta between the first two and the next one. He was preaching one day, and he was talking, and he goes, 
You know, sometimes you're just in public places and you see kids and they're just being unruly or whatever. He goes, I just want to take them to the automotive department and jack them up. And I was amen in them because sometimes children need more than a hug. They need direction. If you've studied child development, you understand that by the time a child is four or five years old, their moral compass has been set. They understand right and wrong to the extent they've been taught it. There's nothing wrong with telling little Susie no or little Adeline no. So we are responsible for the correction and the, we are to be the guardrails on life's road for our children. And yes, it's probably a one lane road as they're younger and as they grow, they mature to the side road and they mature to the highway of life. Please don't drop your kid off on a six lane highway and expect them to navigate life. There'll be too much coming at them. It'll be too overwhelming. It'll be too much for their mind to comprehend and grab a hold of. We need to guard our children from that. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 11 says, As ye know how we extort and comfort and charge each one of you as a father doth his children. We should exhort our children. We should comfort them. And we should charge them. What's this word charge mean? Set an expectation. Set an expectation. I don't know all your parental stories, so I'm just going to share my stories with you today at the expense of my children, and I'll have to ask for forgiveness later. But we set expectations. I was going to sneeze, but I guess I decided not to. We set clear expectations, and we follow up on those expectations, and it's not difficult. Hey, Eli, I want the yard mowed by the end of the day on such and such day. And if you wake up the next morning and the yard's not mowed, you have a conversation. That don't happen very often. He's a great kid. He mowed the yard yesterday. Thanks. Looks good. Matter of fact, it looks so good you get to do it again next time. That doesn't mean lower the standard. We create expectations for our children. We should create those expectations. We should teach. That's how life is. And that's how it is with God. God has expectations for us. I mean, God said, love your neighbor as yourself. Who's the... Who's the first neighbor of a child? Their sibling. First neighbor of a child is their sibling. So learn to love your brothers and sisters. That means we as parents become referees. No more body slamming in the living room. No more suplexes off the back of the couch. When you hear a dog fight going on in the basement you figure out what's going on do you want me to get in the middle of that it's amazing how quick they stop I'll belly flop right in the middle of all of it oh we're good we should create this charge for our children I'm encouraging you today dad don't let 
culture tell you you don't have a role. You have a role in your child's life. You should not be silent. You should be a voice in their life. You shouldn't be ashamed. You shouldn't be embarrassed. Colossians 3 and 2 says, Fathers, don't scold your children so much that they become discouraged and quit trying. Oh, there's always balance. There's always balance. I'm not teaching us today or, or, or admonishing us or exhorting us today to become overbearing lords over our children. We are not under Roman rule, but we should learn the balance. Every child's different. There's some child's children you just really got to tell them how it is, plain. And there are other children you just look at them the wrong way and they got the lesson. We learn, we understand, we don't, we don't take them to the point of depression and discouragement and quitting. We take them to the point of correction. And we enable them to do better and to do what is right. 1 Corinthians 4.15 says, For though we have 10,000 instructors in Christ, Yet have we not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he's instructing them. He's telling them, there's a lot of people that will come along in life who just want to become your best friend. They just want to be instructors. They just want to be road signs. But they're not really a father figure to you. What does a road sign do? just stands there, points in a single direction. If you're going the wrong way, the road sign's not going to stop you. If you make the wrong turn, the road sign's not going to chase you down and say, oh, hold on, hold on, you really meant to go the other way. There are many instructors, but there are some who must become fathers to us. And if you don't have a father figure in your life, Pray and ask God to set somebody in your life who will be a direction to you. Someone who can give you instruction and lead you. I know this lesson today goes very much against our culture. It goes very much against society today. We live in a non-authoritarian society. For anybody to say, hey, I, need, I think you ought to do this is almost offensive in our culture today. Of course, we live in a godless society, and so why the ways of our culture would be anti-God, we understand. <clears throat> One of the biggest threats to the generation is the breakdown of family. I don't often make these comments, but I want to just point it out today. Our society and our culture does have an opportunity for us to speak our voice. And we can have influence in our culture. I can't tell you and don't want to tell you how to vote or who to vote for. But I would admonish you as a Christian to understand biblical values and how they play into our culture. 
and that you would look for candidates that best match the values that you have in your life as a Christian. As a disciple, as a follower of Christ, look for and be intentional and voice your vote for the candidate or the person who represents what you stand for. Will we ever turn the tide? I don't know. Will we change culture? Probably not. We live in an antichrist culture, and it's, it's part of the end time that we're going to go down this road. But can we have an influence? I believe we can have an influence. Can we make a change? We can make a difference and impact change. Until November, there's your voting comments. I have a, a friend. He's a gentleman. He's old enough to be my father, but we're pretty good friends. And oftentimes we have conversations and we get into discussing culture and society and, and whatnot. And, and during one of these conversations, he made a point, and I think it stands the reason. One of the most influential foundations of our Biblical values is family. That's the structure inside of which we first experience God is inside a family. Now that doesn't happen for everybody, and, and we're going to share some statistics in a little bit, and you'll see that there are many people that don't have that opportunity as a child in their own family, but here we are today with the ability to influence, and so we should influence our families to have that. And, and our conversation would oftentimes go off to marriage, and, and marriage is a foundation of a society that is in order. It becomes really the, a founding, foundational stone for a, a solid family. And historically, when families begin to unravel in culture, that culture begins to fall as well. And he made a statement. He said, there's always been divorce in America, but in his estimation, I guess it was the early 80s when divorce laws were changed and it went to no-fault divorces. And he says, from his observation, from, from that time forward, family has just quickly deteriorated. And you stop and think about it. Before, you had to have some standard or reason for a divorce to be put in place for a, a family. And divorce is brutal. It's literally ripping a family apart. It's really, it's literally, as the Bible says, two hearts get sewn together as one. It's literally ripping the, the heart of a family into two separate pieces. And with no fault divorce, we here, here in America, we made it where now you just have a simple statement in your in your paperwork that says there's an irreconcilable difference. Well, that's as general and generic as it could become. What if two people don't agree on the same flavor of cookie? I would chuckle as well, but it's become that ridiculous. Two individuals struggle to, to agree on the same car that the family should drive and should we spend our money here or should we spend our money there? And rather than being adults and working these things out and having compromise and coming to negotiating to certain extents, we've allowed families to be torn apart. And there are reasons and things 
I'm not going to teach a whole Bible study today on divorce. But it is this tearing apart of the family that leads to the deterioration of family. And it's Father's Day, so let me speak to the dads. Let me speak to the men who are in these relationships. Sir, your family matters enough that you should fight for it. Your children matter enough that you should be willing to reasonably negotiate for your family. Don't just throw it away because it becomes easier. It may be difficult. It may be a struggle. It may be hard. But it's worth the fight because your children are impacted greatly by the breaking of a family. One third of children born in North America never live with both of their biological parents through the age of 18. One third, 33% of children in North America do not live through the age of 18 with both of their biological parents. So what has been the effect of this? What has been the, the result of this? It's Father's Day. Part of the situation is dads pack up and leave. What happens when dad leaves? Well, 85% of children with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 70% of teen pregnancies occur to young girls who are in fatherless homes. 75% of teen patients in drug abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 85% of the young people who end up in prison come from fatherless homes. 63% of young people who suffer with mental illness and take the ultimate terrible choice of suicide come from fatherless homes. Dad, you have an impact on your children. Fathers matter. Dads matter. But I don't feel like my voice is heard. It still matters. Doesn't feel like my influence is making any difference. It still matters. Every parent is going to go through the years of silence. But just because there's not a response doesn't mean it wasn't received. And parenting isn't about how well I feel about my parenting. It's about how well I do my parenting. Parenting is like planting a seed. If you put a seed in the ground and you do your very best to water it and take care of it, and if you do a fairly decent job at it, that seed's going to sprout and a root's going to go out and the stalk is going to begin to grow out of the ground. But, but there's a period of silence. There's a period of the unknown. We can't go dig up every seed every week and examine it to make sure it's progressing how we want and plug it back in the ground. You'll destroy it. You just have to do your responsibility as the gardener and trust that you're doing it right and you're following the instructions on the seed packet. We planted some marigolds when 
we had a garden at our previous house. Man, I thought those things were never going to come out of the ground. They germinate forever, it seems like. And, and we'd go out there and I'd be like, man, I just don't think it's, I don't, I don't think we did it right. And I have no green thumb, man. I am not, I am not a gardener. Then, seen a little green spout pop up in one spot. I thought, oh, well, it looks like we got one or two. Maybe they're going to work. Eh, we'll call it success. Lesson learned. Then a few weeks later, there's more, then more, then more, then more. The marigolds took over the garden. So many of them that popped up. You just have to trust the process. And if you'll be a dad the way that God is our heavenly father to us, if we'll show love, grace, and mercy, as Christ has shown his love, grace, and mercy to us, we are doing our part and we have to trust in the end it will come forth. Train up a child in the way they should go. When they are old, they will not depart from it. Does that, that mean they'll enact every principle the same way that we've enacted those principles in our life? No, but we are setting inside of them guideposts and standards and benchmarks and morals and responsibilities. It was believed many years ago that poverty was the primary source for juvenile crime and behavioral problems. But after years and years of study, it's now come to figure out that it wasn't necessarily poverty that was the only contributing factor. Matter of fact, the larger factor is the family breaking down that has contributed to these, in, to these factors in children's life. I spent a lot of time today talking about culture and society. Let's, let's take this message and shift it back into the church house a little bit this morning. How can we change the trend? How can we change the trend, particularly amongst us Christians? Many of the statistics that I quoted today are not unique to non-Christians. The statistics between in the church and out of the church are, are very much parallel and almost the same. That tells me that we have a churches, we have churches that are flowing along with the cultural standards of our world and not living according to the biblical standard that God has set for us. We want to pull culture along with us to the best of our ability. So how do we buck the trend? How do we change it? The simple life, or the simple answer to this is, dads, we fall in love with Jesus. That's the simple answer. Dads falling in love with Jesus. When dads become disciples, changes the world. Because a dad who becomes a disciple becomes a dad who is a disciple maker. And disciple making starts at home. Christian fathers do not serve the gods of money. Christian fathers do not serve the gods of self-pleasure. Christian fathers take the same energy and effort that they put forward towards climbing the 
corporate ladder into strategizing and helping their children become successful in the kingdom of God. Dads who take time, effort, and resource and, and put it towards all of their hobbies also take time, effort, resource to put into their children what it means to serve God. Christian fathers don't cheat on their wives. Amen? Christian fathers don't lie, steal, lust, or covet. Christian fathers don't send their kids to church. They take their kids to church. And I, I'm preaching to the choir. I get it. Christian fathers have real relationships with God. The greatest need in the hour that we have is for homes to be built around Christ. And the way our homes are built around Christ is when dad becomes a full-fledged, committed disciple of Jesus Christ. That's how we have godly homes. Our verse of scripture today was in Psalms. 17, verses 3 through 5. You've examined my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress concerning the works of men. By the word of your lips, I have provided or avoided the paths of the violent, placing my steps in your steps that my footsteps do not slip. The psalmist had an understanding, and I think this is the understanding that we as dads have to get. Dads, we have a responsibility to be a provider, yes. We have a responsibility to be a protector, yes. But God did not call us to be a pioneer. What do you mean, preacher? What I mean is God didn't design or create that you would have to de define and create the path that your family has to run down. The footsteps of a disciple maker is simply this. Wherever Jesus has already stepped is where I'm going to step. I don't have to forge the path. I just have to follow the path. I don't have to create the path. I just have to submit and surrender to God's path. Who is a better father example than the Lord Jesus Christ to us? You say, well, he was never married. He never had children. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm preaching. He's our heavenly father. And we are his children. You were formed by his hand. Every child is God's child. The Bible says that we were shapen in His likeness. Before the invisible God ever came to earth, manifested in flesh, He decided that He wanted to have two legs, two arms, a head, two eyeballs, a nose, and ears. And He made humanity in His to-be image. That's language in the constraints of time. He knew his body's shape, form, and likeness 
before it came into existence. And he created us in his image. Not just in the physical silhouette of our body, but he created us in his image because he gave us a soul and he breathed inside of us and gave us eternal life. We are like God because while our flesh may die, our soul will never die. And the most valuable part of us sometimes gets forgotten, the eternal. Dad, you have the ability to shape more than just the temporal part of a human. You get the ability to shape the eternity of your children. This is the power of being a discipling dad. How do I help my children be more like Jesus? It's when discipleship starts at home. On the entry table, there is a stack of Bible studies. And if those stack runs out, there's an entire box in the shelf behind. It's called Beyond Belief. If you're a dad and you've never taught your family a Bible study, don't leave without taking Beyond, a Beyond the Belief book with you. And teach your family a Bible study. What? You want me to teach a Bible study? Yeah. Can I just be honest? Nobody's invited me over to their house to teach a Bible study. So you get to teach it. And it's not really my responsibility as pastor to come to everybody's house and, and teach your children a Bible study. Dad, it's your responsibility as a provider and a protector to provide for their soul and to protect their soul. How do I provide for their soul? You have to give them the knowledge of the Word of God. You have to teach them the will and the way and the promise of God. You have to teach them godly principles to live by. That doesn't happen by dunking or dropping our kids in 45 minutes of Sunday school once a week. There's no way 45 minutes of Sunday school will change our children's lives in comparison to the hours of influence that's coming into them from our culture and our society. There has to be a counterbalance. There has to be a louder voice. There has to be more time invested. Well, my wife does devotion. Great, you do the Bible study. I'm pushing us today. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling at us today as dads. Let's not just leave our children's soul in the hands of happen chance. But let's be intentional today. Let's step into the footprints that Jesus Christ has already left for us. Because the psalmist wrote, when I put my foot in your path and I stepped where you've already stepped, I didn't slip. I didn't stumble. I didn't fall. I didn't struggle. It was a sure place where I placed my foot. And every time I step where God's already stepped, it's a sure place in my life. It's a sure step in my life. I don't have to worry about it being grown over with moss and slippery and, and uncomfortable or out of sorts. It's a sure place where you can lead your family. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth admonishes them. 
He said, be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. This should become our mantra as fathers. This should become our life statement as a father. Hey, son. Hey, daughter. Follow me. Follow me. You get the responsibility of that simple statement, follow me. That means I'm not going to walk in places I don't want my kids to walk. That means I'm not going to look at things I don't want my kids to look at. That means I'm not going to participate in stuff I don't want my kids to participate in. That means I'm going to hold myself to a higher standard. I'm going to hold myself to a deeper accountability. I'm going to hold myself to a more righteous responsibility in living for God. Because I would say to my kids, follow me. And then while they're coming behind me and their foot is going every step that I've taken. What did Paul say? As I follow Christ. The reality is they're not really putting their footsteps in the prints I left. They're just placing their foot in the same God print that I already stepped through. And so if I'll get my life in alignment with what God's doing, and I'll become a discipling dad, I'll have little disciples running around my house. And they won't be disciples of me, they'll end up being disciples of Jesus Christ. The first place we become disciples is in our home. You can stand with me this morning. Dads. I just don't feel like I can emphasize it enough. Your voice matters. I don't know how this is going to pay off in the end, but I've created a habit. She's not in here with my little Adeline. It may get me in trouble in the end, but every morning I scoop her up or... Some morning she's not real scoopable. <laughs> she's almost two, you understand. But some point throughout the day, I'll get to a moment where she'll actually smile at me and not want to scream about something that I don't understand. <clears throat> but I'll scoop her up in my arms and I'll put her head over here in this crease of this elbow and I'll hold her close and I always start to rock her really slow and then I whisper daddy's little girl daddy's little girl and then I get more of a voice daddy's little girl daddy's little girl I get super excited and I start shaking her really well not too violently but <laughs> I just said as violently but that's not true and then I stop and I give her a couple kisses on the cheek and I say you're daddy's baby little girl that's probably going to cost me some money in the future, but. <laughs> I'm giving her an identity. She gets a little bit older. 
she'll always be daddy's little girl, but it'll be time to start training her on who Jesus is. And you have become the likeness of God that he's entrusted to me to care for. And there was a day when we stood in an altar and as a father I made a commitment to God. It was more than just a service for family to get together. It was more than just a picture moment. It was more than just time of, of ritual and, and religious responsibility. It was, it was a true commitment that I said before God and before the people of God and before my pastor that I would commit my life to teaching her the ways of God and teaching her to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We call it a baby dedication where we say, Lord, we give this child back to you, but we must understand it's very much like Moses. Moses' mother said, Lord, I, I, I can't keep the child. He cries, and the commandment is to kill all the firstborns. And, and if I keep him, I'm going, it's just not going to work out. So she had to commit the child back to God by placing him in a basket and putting him in the Nile River. And as only God can, the princess found him. Long story short, she needed somebody to take care of the baby and to nurse the baby. And it ended up being Moses' own mother. And then he was of age, he was sent back to the palace. And this is what God does with children to us. He gives them to us for the time and the period. And we say, Lord, I dedicate this child back to you. Lord, I give this child back to you. Well, this baby can't even eat yet. Can't walk, can't crawl. All can do is scream and sleep. And God's saying, I want that child back, but you teach it. You train it. You raise it. So that when you do the act of giving the child back to me, it's trained, it's instructed, it knows what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So baby dedications are really worksheets for dads, responsibilities for dads, commitments for dads. And I hold... I hold that commitment, that covenant to God in high regard, and I hope you do today as a, as a father, and, and maybe you dedicated your children, or maybe you didn't. That shouldn't be a deciding factor on whether you become a disciple in your own home, and whether you are the voice of God into your children's life. With every head bowed and every eye closed today. I know it's Father's Day, and we do the same on Mother's Day. We speak to that people group, mothers and fathers, on the respected Sundays. But the Word of God is true across the board. Just as dads have a responsibility, so do moms, so do brothers, so do sisters, so do uncles and aunts and cousins. first and foremost responsibility is that I myself would be a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
So while the admonishment today has been for us to go make disciples in our homes, let's make sure today when we leave the house of God that we are dedicated and, and fully committed to being a disciple of Christ ourselves. If there's anything in your heart today that would separate you from following Jesus Christ, I would admonish you. I would share with you this passage from Scripture. Today is the day of salvation. Right now is the accepted time. Today is the opportunity for you to make your heart right with God. And if you need to have that prayer, this altar is open or you can pray from your seat. Lord, I just commit my heart to you fresh and new today. Lord, I commit my life to you fresh and new today. If you're a father here today or a mother or or someone who has influence in the life of a child, maybe part of that commitment is, Lord, I commit today so that I can walk in your footsteps and that I can leave a godly path and a godly heritage for those that are coming behind me to walk in. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.